0: Let's get agreement that this is a strategic part. Our
1: area of alignment and synergy can be very Working important. Looking the future, we're committed to expand value time, time. There's still progress that needs to be made.
0: This is Healthcare Strategies.
1: Hello and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. My name is Jacqueline LePoint, Director of Editorial at Accelident Healthcare Media. Here with us today is Sam Starbuck, Vice President and General Manager at Privia Quality Network. We're going to chat about value-based care and ECOs today. Hello, Sam. Hi, Jacqueline. So, Sam, we recently connected over newly released Medicare Shared Savings Program results. Privia Quality Network has been a Shared Savings Program top earner over the last couple of years, thanks to your ECOs' efforts to improve healthcare quality and affordability. So, according to the latest Shared Savings Program results, Privia's ECOs achieved nearly $100 million in shared savings while treating over 112,000 attributed Medicare beneficiaries across Georgia, Maryland, Texas, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. Notably, you guys also had a weighted average quality score of 93% across all four of its ACOs. So clearly, you guys have had some success with the ACO model, and a lot of other providers are in the same boat. The ACO model has been one of the most popular alternative payment and care delivery models and is arguably leading the value-based care transition. So Sam, what is it about the ACO model that has worked for you guys?
0: Yeah, Jacqueline, it's a a great question, and you know, for us, I, I personally, I really think about a couple of things that differentiate our approach and also how we take that ACO model and apply it across the group. The model enables a we versus I mentality. You know, it fosters a culture within the physicians of collaboration, of accountability and of transparency. It puts the focus on, I think, the right things within medicine. You know, I'm not a physician, but if I were, you know, it. it it's being rewarded for providing great care at the right time and in the right place to the right individuals. And it's better for everyone involved, for our patients, for providers, for office staff. If you're talking to the physicians, it's a model that finally enables them to be rewarded for the quality of care that they provide. You know, So for a long time now, we've been Prior to the value-based care movement, we've been focused on a volume world where you know more is better. And I'm using my air quotes there where if I do more, then I get rewarded more. And now it enables our physicians to be able to take a pause and think about, well, more does not necessarily equal better, better for me, better for my patients. Instead, it's what is the right thing to do. And then if we're going to talk specifically about the MSSP program, the program is very methodologically sound. You know, If you dig into the details and the nuts and bolts of the program itself and you compare it to some of the programs that are coming out from the commercial payers or even elsewhere, it is very actuarially sound and enables you to have a solid understanding of what you need to do to be successful. and, And we like that as well. I should also layer on, because CMS deserves credit for this, it is the best data source that we have. You know, they deliver timely, actionable, and effective data to drive actionable and meaningful decision-making for our physicians at the point of care. So those are some things that we really like about it. Those are some things that have enabled us to be successful within it.
1: Yeah, I was really thinking about the idea of the physician engagement piece of it, because writing about the Medicare Shared Savings Programs for a couple of years now, it seems like physician engagement is really key to success. So I was wondering if you could elaborate on your strategy for making sure physicians understand that they're being rewarded for their high quality care versus volume. And, you know, how has that strategy evolved since you guys have been doing this for a couple of years now?
0: Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple principles that we like to operate by when we talk about physician engagement. And I think number one is the physicians need to have a seat at the table. And number two, it has to always be transparent. So I'll talk about each of those in a bit. So having a seat at the table, we believe in a physician-led model. One of our our largest markets, the Mid-Atlantic, which comprises DC and Virginia. Within that market, we have six different what we call regional medical directors. And these are physicians that take responsibility for the performance within a defined region. And they are practicing physicians within the ACO. But they are the ones leading meetings with other physicians. They're the ones developing local strategies within their local delivery system to improve outcomes. They're the ones reviewing the data. So they are at the table to understand what is going on, but they're also practicing physicians in the market. They have relationships with the other providers in the delivery system, whether it be the hospital, whether it be the specialists in the area. And they're the ones out driving that change. And so it's not as we are commonly referred to as the suits or the business folks that are sort of out telling folks what to do, but instead it is truly a physician-led engagement strategy. The other piece that is critical to a successful physician engagement strategy is transparency. And uh, you know that comes in multiple ways. It comes in the physician's need to understand Where are the dollars going? Meaning how, as a partner to them, are we spending resources? What investments are we making to support them and their patients? Do they believe those investments are valuable? Are their patients feeling that the investments that we're making are meaningful to them? They also need to know how are they going to be rewarded, right? Because when shared savings is earned, there's a methodology that says, okay, well, you know, funds flow to the ACO, but then how do I, as an individual physician, earn a reward for the value that I created. And I've heard stories of ACOs that, you know, providers just, they get a check and they don't really know how they earned it. You know, was it because they were the highest performing physician or not? And I think one of the, you know, around transparency, it's they need to understand how those dollars are earned and what they did or did not do to earn whatever bonus they received. And then the final transparency leg that we stand on is when our physicians meet, we're meeting regularly, sometimes monthly, every other month or quarterly, all of the data that we're showing within our local pods is, is unblinded, it's transparent, everyone knows who's at the top and everyone knows who's at the bottom. And that has fostered a lot of, you know, not only competitive nature, My uh, the doctors will always tell me we're competitive by nature, that's how we got through med school, but what it will also fosters is, you know, the people at the bottom asking, Hey, doctor at the top, what are you doing differently? You know, so in some instances, we're in the same practice in the same town in the same building, seeing the same type of population, how are your scores that much better? And so it creates that natural conversation and, and group accountability to do improvement. So physician engagement is it's critical to success. And, you know, for us, it's a, the foundation, if not a pillar for for what we do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you see that same idea that physician engagement, clinician engagement is key to succeeding in this model. We've seen it in CMS reports discussing that. But I was also curious, you mentioned that you know physicians are at the table. Where do patients come in? Do they have a seat at this proverbial table?
0: That's a great question, and, and they certainly do. Beyond the mandatory requirement of a patient on your board, right? which we do have, and we're you know, blessed to have a great one who is giving us great feedback frequently, We have adopted a couple different things. So there are organic patient advisory councils or focus groups that uh, pop up within the practices within our ACO. And those are things that just happen naturally without any formal planning or coordination. But what we have also set up is what we've referred to as a patient family advisory council. And these things happen at least once a year where we're gathering patients together within a certain geography to, you know, provide feedback on the practice, what they like, what they don't like. And that information is fed back into, you know, the ACO and fed back into strategy and overall improvement opportunities. On top of that, you know, we're doing regular patient satisfaction surveys to understand how we can improve the experience, you know, and improve the service that we're providing to the patients. But those advisory councils are, I'll say, the the really meaningful forum by which patient voices are heard beyond the satisfaction surveys that all of us get whenever we go anywhere. You know, I feel like I go to, out to dinner these days and I'm getting a satisfaction survey within 10 minutes after finishing my meal. So those are becoming a little rote and run of the mill, but we try to get beyond that into the you know more personal feedback through those advisory council meetings.
1: I know we previously talked about patient access as well. So I was curious, how your patient access strategy plays into this idea of value-based care and the ACO model.
0: Yeah. We have a physician leader in our organization who's often says, if you want to be successful in value-based care, access, access, access. You know, it's the single biggest thing you can do to improve performance. And we're fortunate that if you look across our ACOs, we typically do very well on some of the utilization and access metrics around ER utilization and patient admissions and, and otherwise. And those trends carry across all the programs that we participate in. What do we do that differentiates us is we do everything. I'm not going to just point to one single thing. I think we've learned a lot, as I think the whole healthcare industry has through the pandemic around how to leverage technology and the virtual assets to expand access to patients. But it starts from the simplest of things, such as you know, your websites. Think about all of us whenever we don't feel well where do I go? What do I do? How can I get an appointment You know, without talking to someone? Or how do we just make that as easy as possible and meet the patients wherever they are? Are they, you know, the, of the mobile type? Do they want an app? Do they want to schedule it themselves? Do they want to call? So it's, you know, from the very beginning in terms of ease of access up front around appointment scheduling on down to how offices construct their schedule. You know, do we have walk-in availability every day? Do we have after hours availability? Do we have urgent care availability. And one of the things we try to do in the beauty of our model is all of our physicians are on a common platform, right? So everyone's on a single EMR. And so what that enables is there's a shared record across the physicians. So if there are, you know, 10 Privia offices within a 10 mile radius, my physician office is closed, but the one down the street is open. I can go to the one down the street and they're going to see my chart that my physician has And then tomorrow, if I need a follow-up appointment with my physician, that physician is going to see the note, the record, it's all going to be shared. So creating this idea of sharing patients across the ACO, which is better for the patients, better patient care, but then also the data and information is transparent to one another. And then, you know, you just keep going down the line, right? So that expand that into telehealth. After hours, we have a 24-7 virtual urgent care that's available to any patient at any time. And again, it's on a shared record, so that information will be shared back with their PCP. And then beyond, right, things like remote patient monitoring and adopting technology solutions that enable us to get into the home, while not expanding face-to-face access with the physician, it's expanding access to that patient around information and also information access to the provider around how their patient is doing outside the four walls of the office. So The short answer is everything, right? You have to be able to meet the patients where they are, when they need you, how they want to access you.
1: Yeah, that definitely speaks to the right care at the right time with the right provider type of idea. Because yes, if you lower your utilization, you can achieve cost savings, but that's really not the goal of the ACO or the value-based care model. You touched on data a lot throughout this conversation. You You mentioned how the Medicare Shared Savings Program provides you guys a lot of data. But you also mentioned how you're providing your physicians with this information, and you're also making sure that all your providers have access to patient information, regardless of where they go within your network. So I was kind of wondering if we could touch on that idea of you know, how important data and data sharing is to the ACO model, and I think even further to the, the value-based care transition. So I'm kind of wondering, how do you guys manage your data, and how do you get it into the right hands to ensure quality improvement? Yeah,
0: and and this is an area where I'd say we've learned a lot over our years. You know, when we first started in the shared savings program, I think we were trying to fit data into every nook and cranny we possibly could and give it to, when I say give it to everyone, I obviously mean in a compliant way, but in terms of like, hey, here's your performance on everything, right, you know, to physicians, but What we've learned is that while we get rich data, the physicians don't necessarily need to see every aspect of that data. If they ask for it, we can, but it's now more, we we take the approach of, you know, similar to the concepts around patient care, but the right data at the right place at the right time. And so we don't want physicians logging into a separate system to access, you know, their reports or their information. We don't want them to have to open a separate tab when they're in a patient visit to see what an individual patient's, you know, history has been on a ER visits per se. We want to surface everything into a common workflow in the point of care for them to make actionable decisions at the right time. And so, you know, that's the the backdrop. So generally speaking, our approach to data is we consume all of the data that's shared with us from CMS into a centralized data warehouse. We marry that with other data sources that we have, whether that be pharmacy, whether that be hospital utilization, discharges, admission feeds, and we we kind of create a single view of that patient in the in the data warehouse and then we write rules around you know, okay, where are we going to point this information so informing the, the provider at the point of care around certain episodes that have occurred or visits that have happened with their patient so that they can make a holistic decision on whatever it is that they're engaging the patient about. And then in our reporting, As I said, we went from everything and now it's what do I need to know? You know, what is the most important to me as a physician about my population? And then on a less frequent basis, we're providing the more detailed, holistic view that's there for them if they want to go. So it's really getting back to that idea of, you know, don't tell me everything, but tell me what I need to know when I need to know it so that I can make informed and actionable decisions.
1: I think this is probably something that has shifted for a lot of providers, especially in the age of, you know, the EHR. There's a lot more technology, there's a lot more data out there. So it's definitely a strategy you need to alter quickly as new stuff comes up. But yes, I think that's awesome that you guys are able to sort of boil down what's actually important so you can get those on the ground improvements moving. Along that line of thinking, you know, data, data sharing, data transparency, those have sort of been strategies that you've had a lot of lessons learned with, but I was wondering if you think there's still opportunity to improve how you guys are sharing data, how you guys are making sure everyone has the right information.
0: Absolutely. Before I talk specifically about, you know, our opportunities, I think we as a system, as a healthcare system, still have a long way to go in terms of the communication of data between provider settings, you know, when we still don't get full information about all of our patients when they get admitted when they get discharged if they're going to a post acute place of care and i think at times as a physician who's taking risk on a population it can be very frustrating you kind of feel like you're you're playing with one arm tied behind your back in, in some regards so i think we as a system and you know everyone says this so i know i'm not in the the minority here but We've got to figure out a way to solve that. And right now it's very disparate. And, you know, there's a lot of HIE vendors out there, but no one has a complete network. You know, you got to, if you want to go directly to connect to the local hospital system, you know, both organizations are going to pay an arm and a leg to make that connection happen. And then what happens when it fails? So there's a whole host of reasons, but we have to solve that, um, you know, honestly, for for patient's sake. And the example I always think about is we as patients, we're all patients at some point, and we don't like going from doctor to doctor and being asked the same questions. And how do we solve that? How do we create a better patient experience? So that's still an opportunity for us, especially given our size. In terms of internally, it's probably going to constantly evolve, but finding what's the right mode to deliver data to physicians and less so around actionable things. Hey, this, this patient was discharged from the hospital. I mean, all of that, we, that's very clear goes to the point of care. But when it comes time to you know talk about performance reports or your your monthly scorecard or whatever it is, that is more like you know, an overall performance-based report that we've distilled down. I think we're still trying to figure out where does that go directly to the physician. Do you put it in a secure portal that they log into? We're always navigating that and I think always on the search for the best place to deliver that. I think finally on data is how do we better leverage it to more timely engage our patients? This is again a pursuit that we will be on for a long time. And I think we do a relatively good job of it now. Some of our populations, depending on where they fall on the risk spectrum or utilization spectrum, you know, they'll get messages when they're discharged from the ER or, you know, some regular messages around that. We're good at that, but we still have a lot of opportunity. And you know, you start to bring up things like social determinants of health. And there are a lot of opportunities for us to leverage data in a way that is going to improve the care that we provide to our patients and also make our physicians that much more effective and efficient at what they do. So they're focusing on the right patients at the right time. So We still have a long way to go. While I'm I'm biased, I think we're pretty good at what we do. Uh, We still have plenty of opportunities that we can improve upon to better leverage the information that we have.
1: Privy has definitely been one of the more successful ECO groups out there. So you're definitely onto something. On a similar note, there are data sharing, lessons learned that you can implement. There's always room for improvement. I think the same can be said for value-based care. It has been a huge transition. There's been a lot of innovation people have to account for. The Medicare Shared Savings Program is, you know, the largest ACO program out there, one of the oldest as well. So there's a lot of information surrounding that. Privia has been very successful as an ACO in the Medicare shared savings program. However, participation has stagnated over the last couple of years, particularly after the Pathways to Success transition. What does this mean for the ACO model and the value based care transition in general? Do you see improvements that can be made to the ACO model?
0: Yeah, sometimes I sit and wish I had the magic eight ball here on this, but for MSSP specifically, it is a stable value based care programs, and I don't think it's going to go anywhere. You mentioned the changes. There's a lot of pros and cons about it. The way I personally have thought about this and articulate it to our physicians when we talk about them is there's an old adage out there that sometimes you have to slow down to speed up. And I think when you look at these changes that have been made and you really dig into the details of the, the participation data, participation's down. But the savings created by participants is actually up and at an all-time high. A lot of the participants that were in the program just to do it without any real skin in the game and were not really pushing at the wheel like some of these programs that have bought into the spirit and the ethos of what it was trying to do, made the investments in their infrastructure to really, truly drive down total cost of care and improve experience for the members that are being served. I think you're starting to see th- those are the ones that are sticking around and those are the ones that are creating the results. And, that, you know, Privy is not the only one out there. There's several others that are doing that and I think believe in the program. So for myself personally, around MSSP in particular, it doesn't raise any alarm bells. I mean, we want more people in value-based care. We believe in what it's trying to accomplish. We're at a, at a time where the groups that have made those investments, you're seeing the fruits of those investments and of that work. And I think others are going to start to see that and catch on as well. Some of the new changes that came out in the most recent proposed rule are acknowledging that, you know, we're acknowledging some prepayments to ACOs that might be in underserved areas or a new ACO and serving a smaller population. Those are things that are hurdles, right? Especially if you're required to move into downside risk, being able to have those prepayments to invest in the infrastructure are key, right? A good stage in terms of the, the historical timeline, and we're in a good spot. But yeah, I mean, sometimes those headlines can be a little daunting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially when they're saying participation has dipped. What does this mean for value-based care? But you make a good point. You know, people who are staying, are they have made huge investments in value-based care um, delivery, and they're seeing success with it. So we're, we're seeing improved quality. We're seeing cost savings. I think switching gears a little bit. This season on healthcare strategies, we're taking a look at health equity across the healthcare system. As many listeners know, the CMS Innovation Center has refreshed a strategy and health equity is one of the pillars, but also the proposed changes to the Medicare Shared Savings Program that recently came out also have an eye towards health equity. So it's clearly something that's part of the ACM model and it's going to be part of the value-based care strategy moving forward. So what does health equity mean for you as an ACL leader? And do you think ACOs are well-positioned? to advance health
0: equity? Yes, could go a lot of different ways with that question. I think, let me start with the second question first. Are ACOs well positioned 100%? I think in some instances, we might be the best positioned. And why do I say that? Because you look at you know advanced APMs, you look at shared savings dollars, you look at all of these value streams and you know programs. We're already doing a lot of this stuff I think it's just formalizing it. Now, look, we've got a long way to go and there's a lot to tackle. But my point is, our meaning ACOs, value-based care entities, APMs, we're already wired to think like that. What's best for our population and what do we need to do within this geography to improve their outcomes? And you know, I think it's starting to evolve and shift that mindset beyond just, oh, I need to get my patients their mammograms and colonoscopies to... Well, why is my patient's A1C continually above nine? Well, it's because they don't have access to the food they need, or they don't have adequate housing, or you know they don't have a way to get to work. Or why are they constantly anxious and depressed? Well, it's because they're you know struggling financially and they're worried about paying their bills. This is just an evolution and the next step of the things that we've been working on for a while. And as I go out and I I speak with our physicians on a regular basis if you just listen to them talk about what they do on a day in and day out basis, they're doing a lot of this already. And what excites me is that it's now bubbled up to a headline issue is such that it's getting the attention and hopefully the investment needed to better support the physicians on the ground who are are handling this. And I think in particular, primary care physicians, and of course, this differs based off of rural versus urban and, and whatnot. But you know, we've got primary care physicians that are, are seeing patients from 18 all the way until they're 90. If you think about all the different things that occur over the course of that individual's lifetime, they're dealing with a lot. What is Privia doing specifically? I, like I said, I think a lot of this is happening, but it's happening organically. And where I see this going is, I don't know the exact dates, but if you rewind the clock 10, 15 years ago, we weren't really talking about quality measures, you know, but it was, it was happening. providers were encouraging mammograms and colonoscopies. Well fast forward today, you don't get paid unless you do them. And you know you have to document them. It's a standard part of every EMR. It's just bread and butter to a patient visit at this point. Even though physicians are doing it, there's not the infrastructure in place to support it, to support the data capture of it, to support the facilitation of a patient through a process for it, you know, whether that be assessment, on through to referral or treatment and quotes there meaning, okay, well, we assess that this patient, they don't have access to good housing. So what, what is our infrastructure to support them in that? And then follow through on that. And there are tools out there, but I think it's very disparate. You know, they're not all connected, you know, and you've got local care coordination teams doing care coordination with social services and whatnot. So there's a lot of opportunity within that space to better connect the dots, to create a better patient experience. And I think that's where we're at right now is really thinking about how do we, first of all, understand the needs of the population, leverage data, leverage information that's already captured in the EMR. But then simultaneously, how do we start to connect the dots to the things that are already occurring and then wrap around those to enhance it? So a lot of opportunity to go. It, it excites me. You know, To me, this is like starting to get to the core of what value-based care is, You know, getting beyond the road things and instead getting down and understanding the true needs of patients at the local level.
1: Thank you, Sam. You gave us a lot to think about as a value-based care transition moves ever forward. If you have any thoughts on this episode, or if you want to ask a question or share a story idea, please reach out to me at jlapointe and in expellgentmedia.com. That's J-L-A-P-O-I-N-T-E at x-t-e-l-l-i-g-e-n-t-media.com. Also, please leave a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production.